Welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Listen to Joe tackle the really tough moral issues, current events, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Now here's Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Hello again, Sixpack Warriors. Welcome back to The Cantankerous Catholic, episode 215. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. I do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, and that I will obey the orders of the President of the United States and the orders of the officers appointed over me, according to the regulation and uniform code of military justice. So help me God. From a Catholic perspective, who should we vote for in the 2024 primaries to become our presidential candidate, Trump or DeSantis? If you want a life of total freedom, and I mean total freedom, to go where you want, live where you want without money worries, there's one skill that can give it to you. It's a skill so desired, so in demand, you could have an endless flow of money coming into your bank account every month and never leave your house. What kind of money am I talking about? Does six figures sound good to you? That's what some people who've discovered and mastered this skill are making without breaking a sweat. As for learning this skill, almost anybody can do it. 
It's a special kind of skill that once you've mastered it, it gives you the opportunity not only to earn as much money as you need, but from anywhere in the world for the rest of your life. I'll be brutally honest. There's simply no other way to gain total freedom and independence than learning a skill that rewards you tenfold. Just click the link in my show notes that says, here's your ticket to the good life to learn all about it. Before getting started, I want to mention a few things. First, I've decided that from now on, except on rare occasion, I'm going to begin the Cantankerous Catholic each week with political issues for the main topic. After all, we have the Sacred Heart Wins with Bishop Strickland and the Catholic Boot Camp as Catholic teaching segments following the main topic. So I'm convinced that you six-pack patriots want to hear politics from a genuine Catholic perspective. Next, be sure to send me your questions for Bishop Strickland. Ask anything you want, or just rave and let the bishop respond. We don't cherry-pick questions, and I don't exclude any of them. Send me an email with your questions at joe@cantankerouscatholic.com at today. This is the last time I'm going to bring it up. I fully realize that times are tough financially for almost everyone. Still, my brother gave 22 years of his life fighting for our country. And I mean it when I say he fought for 22 years. When he wasn't fighting in Iraq or Afghanistan, he was in deep cover in the intelligence community fighting terrorism and other threats against America. But that was over 20 years ago, and now he needs help. Despite getting medical care from the VA, his health issues have placed such a financial burden on him that he's practically ruined. The goal for aid is $5,000. It would be great if people would step up with $100 each, but please give whatever you can. Remember that only 1% of Americans serve in uniform to defend the other 99% who either won't or can't join up. Don't let this veteran patriot suffer when he spent his whole career defending us. Just click on the link in my show notes for this episode at cantankerouscatholic.com slash episodes that says, Help a Highly Decorated Combat Soldier. You'll see his picture under the link. Finally, be sure to get yourself on any one of my email lists to begin getting weekly invitations to the Sharing the Catholic Faith webinars. I no longer do the webinars due to my help, but two great Catholics, Pat and Kimberly Burke, are now hosting them. They're doing such a great job that they're getting more registrants than I ever did. And trust me, unless you're over 90 years old, you don't know our Catholic faith. You may think you do, but you don't. So join the Burks each week because you can't live what you don't know. Now let's get back to our topic for this week. Some of you may think that this is a superfluous comparison between Trump and DeSantis because DeSantis hasn't announced his candidacy. But there's no doubt that DeSantis is running. He's already begun hiring staffers in all of the early primary states, so there's no doubt he's running. So in this episode, we're going to compare and contrast the two men from a Catholic perspective. Let me first say that in the 2016 primary, I supported Ted Cruz. 
I didn't trust Donald Trump, and I encouraged everyone not to vote for him. But after he won the primary, I did support and vote for him in the general election, even if I felt like I had to hold my nose to do it. However, 30 days after he was inaugurated, I contacted all of my Trump-supporting friends in the primaries and profusely apologized. Trump did more for this country in the first 90 days of his term than all six of his predecessors did during their entire terms. He kept all of his promises. Trump was the greatest president in my lifetime, and I have to rank him as one of the three greatest presidents in history. That said, in 2024, I'll be supporting DeSantis. I'm hoping you will, too. In the 2016 primary, I thought Trump hit way below the belt in a very childish manner in his attacks on Cruz, but I don't recall him lying about Cruz. There's only one reason why a political candidate lies about his opponent, and that's because the liar fears the opponent. I was horrified to hear Trump lie about DeSantis recently. He called DeSantis a globalist, accused him of tyranny by keeping people locked down in Florida during the pandemic, and said the man was crying when he begged for Trump's endorsement. Well, DeSantis has proven that he's all about America first and not a globalist. DeSantis was anything but a tyrant during the pandemic. In fact, Florida was the first state to get out from under the lockdown. The accusation that DeSantis cried and begged for Trump's endorsement? Only Trump and DeSantis know the truth behind that, but I very seriously doubt it. DeSantis is a real man of faith. I simply can't see him acting like a little girl. Trump's accusation was so outrageous that only people completely brainwashed about Trump or those blinded by Trump can accept that assertion. It's obvious, then, that Trump's afraid of DeSantis. That should send up some big red flags about Trump. You need to ask yourself why Trump's afraid of DeSantis. Well, do your research. Don't take everything Trump says as gospel. Follow what DeSantis is saying and doing. In all of the recent polls, DeSantis beats Trump sometimes in double digits. Now I'll give you my two primary reasons why I'm supporting DeSantis over Trump next year's primaries. The first is that if Trump gets elected, we'll just have four more years of the same national divisions and headaches that we did the last time. Due to Trump's demeanor and arrogance, and we all have to admit he's arrogant, you can bet that in 2026 midterm elections, we'll lose both the House and the Senate. That means spending the next two years going through more Trump investigations and at least one more impeachment. Trump's first term, as great as it was, divided this country more than anything since the Civil War. America can't take four more years of that. It'll finish destroying this country. My other primary reason for voting for DeSantis in 2024 is far more important. We all learned after Trump was elected that he sees nothing wrong at all with homosexuality and the very destructive homosexual lifestyle. But about a month ago, he came out in full support of the LGBT agenda. That means he supports homosexuality, transgenderism, and even the legalization of pedophilia, if we take him literally at what he said. 
The LGBT agenda is the most destructive force in America today. Ron DeSantis, on the other hand, is against the entire LGBT agenda, and he's proving that with the things he's doing in Florida. More importantly, he's a devout Catholic with a fully formed right conscience. I don't support him just because he's Catholic. Biden's a Catholic, and I certainly don't support him. Well, (laughs) Biden at least claims to be a Catholic. I support DeSantis because of the sort of Catholic he is. After elected to his first term as the Florida governor, his young son was born. On Inauguration Day, rather than be in his inaugural parade, he was in his parish church for his son's baptism. It certainly would have been within his right to reschedule the baptism, but that isn't what he did. He made sure his son had the indelible seal of baptism on his soul. That alone speaks volumes of the man in terms of his commitment to our holy and ancient faith, as well as his moral character. So who would you rather have, a man who's perfectly willing to let homosexual community continue in their efforts to shove their agenda down our throats, or a man with a good moral compass who's committed to our faith as well as America? For me, it's no contest. As Catholics, with DeSantis and Trump running in the primaries, we're not morally permitted to vote for Trump because of the LGBT issue when we have someone against it. That would be a mortal sin. You'd risk your own soul by voting for Trump in the primary. However, if he wins the GOP nomination, and I sincerely hope he doesn't, it wouldn't be a sin to vote for him. Why? Because the principle of the lesser of two evils comes into play. Trump would certainly be better than any demonic Democrat, so Trump would be the lesser of two evils. And take my word for it, any candidate who supports the LGBT agenda is certainly committed to evil. I know that the majority of you support Trump. I did too during his presidency in the election of 2020. But knowing that DeSantis is running, I simply can't support him during the primaries next year. I know a lot of you dyed-in-the-wool Trump supporters are upset with me in this episode. Sorry, can't help it. However, I'd really like your feedback on this. You can comment below my show notes for this episode on cantankerouscatholic.com or you could shoot me an email at joe at I'll answer all of your emails and comments. The bottom line is, you can't be a true patriot if you're not a true Catholic. Help this apostolate while you help yourself. First, check out what I have for sale on cantankerouscatholic.com on the Joe's Stuff page. I have books, coffee mugs, and t-shirts. Your purchase helps this apostolate. On the episodes, blog, and about pages, there are Catholic Amazon items in the sidebar. I change those offerings every week now. When you click on those images, as long as you shop at Amazon after doing so, this apostolate gets a small commission on everything you buy. Please help this apostolate while you buy whatever you're going to buy anyway. It's time for the Sacred Heart Wins. 
with Bishop Joseph Strickland. Each week, His Excellency answers your toughest questions about the Catholic faith, the problems in the church, spiritual questions, catechetical topics, or anything else you want to know. If you have a question, just email it to joe at cantankerouscatholic.com. Now here's Bishop Strickland and Joseph Pack, the Every Catholic Guy. Six-pack warriors, here I am again with Bishop Strickland of Tyler, Texas. I have your questions. He has your answers. Uh, How are you today, Excellency? Good, Joe. How are you? Oh, real good. Thank you very much for asking. Listen, Robert asks, if you were given a choice of just five books that you have ever read that had the biggest impact on your life, what would they be? Wow. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> that um that's a hard list to uh to whittle down um well i mean certainly i mean if, if i was on a desert island i mean if that's the kind of question is what books would you want to have with you the bible the catechism um a good compendium of the early church fathers um beyond that there i mean there are tons of great books uh one that comes to mind just because of recent events is um the spirit of the liturgy by uh pope benedict cardinal rutzinger you know um uh man (laughs) tons of books uh the confessions of saint augustine I mean, if you want to go with more kind of the, the spiritual journey side, um, you know, so. <laughs> yeah, Robert, Robert, I got to tell you, it's unfair to ask for five books because there are literally thousands of great books, uh, especially those published before 1960. Um, <laughs> the, I, I would add, I agree with everything His Excellency said, but we can't limit it to five. And I would additionally add, uh, in fact, one that I think really impacted my life is called the Sanctifier. I can't remember the name of the archbishop, but he's a late archbishop from uh, Mexico City. The Sanctifier is all about devotion to the Holy Spirit. And I didn't think anybody could write a book about the Holy Spirit because he's so there's so little mentioned about him in Scripture. And yet I read this book in one sitting. I mean, I started in the morning and finished it up at night. And yet as soon as I was done, I started reading it again. But this time I took a month to read it so that I could really imbibe everything that there was. So that's a great book. And of course, there's never any, gosh, if you're wanting to grow spiritually, there's never anything better than uh, saints' biographies. For the first year I was a Catholic, almost everything I read was nothing but saints' biographies because that's what my godfather asked me to do. And, uh, Listen, can you become a saint? You absolutely can with God's help. Jesus said, be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect in Matthew five forty eight. 
How perfect is God? He's infinitely perfect, but you can't do it on your own. You can only do it with him. And reading these saints books gives you a lot of insights as to how to do that. And I never thought I could until I read a biography of St. Dominic Savio written by his spiritual director, St. John Bosco. I'm thinking after that, gee, if Savio can do it, I can do it. (laughs) But it was just really that good. Do you have anything you want to add to this excellency? Because I think Robert wants to grow spiritually. Well, um, and specifically for spiritual growth, I would point him to Soul of the Apostolate and uh, Introduction to the Devout Life. Those would be two classics to, uh, I mean, you know, again, you got the, the list is you start with a thousand and then you get started. I mean, it's just <laughs> too many. But uh, there's some great, the, the Confessions of St. Catherine, I think, are St. Catherine of Siena. They're just lots of great books. Um for the spiritual journey. There really are. I mean, the ones that you began with, they're all about really knowing and understanding the faith. The ones I talked about are about becoming a saint, and yet you can't do one without the other. You got to have both. And certainly the very first book that Bishop Strickland mentioned is the Bible. Catholics have a tendency to believe they get all the scripture they need when they go to Mass. And that's a lie. That is a bald-faced lie you are telling yourself. We have to spend personally. I'm not bragging. I'm just stating personally. I have read the Bible cover to cover four times. Now I spend most of my time in the New Testament, but every bit of it is so rich that the reason there's an Old and New Testament is because once you're familiar with everything in the Old Testament, you can read the, I'm sorry, the New Testament. Once you're familiar with everything in the New Testament, you can go to the Old Testament and see where everything that happened in the New Testament was laid out as a precursor in the Old Testament. It's amazing, absolutely amazing. And I, you know, the day is coming when they're going to take our Bibles away from us. You better start reading your Bible. Would you agree with that, Excellency? Absolutely. Uh, Joe, the way I would put it is the Mass introduces us to sacred scripture, but we need to remember what St. Jerome said. Ignorance of the Word of God is ignorance of Christ. So, um, Absolutely. We have to... And and I love what the way the catechism says it, the present catechism, that really all of Scripture is Christ. It's like you could say, I mean, in modern terms, we would say it's his DNA code written out from Genesis all the way through to uh, Revelation. It's Jesus Christ. He is the Word. He's the Word incarnate. So when you learn, I mean, even when it's the book of Numbers or some of those kind of obscure texts in the Old Testament that are not very easy to read, at least for me, um, that you have to remind yourself this is part of the DNA code of the eternal word incarnate among us, Jesus Christ. So any reading of scripture 
should draw us closer to him because it draws us more into the mystery. And like you said, the rituals and so much of the experience of the people of Israel is sort of a preamble to what happens in, in the church, the, the New Testament. Yes, Excellency, that's very good. One thing I would like to mention before we finish up with this, Excellency, as you know, I began, uh, as you people know, I began uh, hosting a series of webinars called Sharing the Catholic Faith. Because of my health, I had to give that up. A devout Catholic couple from Florida by the name of Pat and Kimberly Burke stepped forward and said, these webinars can't stop. And they volunteered to take them over. And I've taught them everything I know, which took about 30 seconds. By the time you hear this, they will have been doing the webinars. And it's for one reason and one reason only. You can't live what you don't know. You can't share what you don't know. And they're there to give you everything you need to know about our holy and ancient faith. Everything that Catholic eighth graders had to know to graduate 70 years ago. And yet some people tell me, gee, this is hard. No, it's not. Are you dumber than an eighth grader? You know, <laughs> so I'm sorry I had to get that in, Excellency, The uh, because I think that these are very, very important to the people. So, Excellency, uh -huh. we're done this week again. I think the reason we had a lack of questions was because December caught everybody kind of busy. <laughs> so, well, you were sure busy during December. So yeah. uh, I'm hoping we have many good questions next month. But Excellency, I thank you for being here. And we're looking forward to having you on next week. Okay. Thanks, Joe. God okay. bless. See you later. The China virus lockdown suspended mass across the country. When restrictions were lifted, few Catholics returned to mass. Why? Because no matter how you slice it, American Catholics simply don't know our faith. In two different EWTN surveys of Catholics conducted in November of 2019 and February of 2020 respectively, 86% said that their religion is very important to them. Yet 82% reject at least one Catholic doctrine, 41% never go to confession, 61% don't attend Mass regularly, 70% don't believe in the real presence, 84% believe abortion should be illegal, and 55% agree with euthanasia. Clearly, American Catholics are completely or almost completely ignorant of the Catholic faith. If they weren't, these figures wouldn't be so dismal. Despite their lack of knowledge, it's nearly impossible to interest them in catechesis they need so desperately. Well, I've got a remedy for that. Introducing the What We Believe, Why We Believe It bulletin inserts, which are endorsed by Raymond Leo Cardinal Burke. Everyone reads the Sunday bulletin, and these bulletin inserts provide a thumbnail catechism lesson that is anything but typically boring catechism. They not only tell readers what the church believes, but why the church believes it. 
in the parishes where these bulletin inserts are already being used, parishioners love them. I know because I get emails every week telling me so. If you're a parish priest, you can get three months of what we believe, why we believe it, to try it out for free. Some laity get subscriptions for their parishes as well. To learn more, click on the link in my show notes that says Six-Pack System Bulletin Insert. It just requires 11 minutes of your time to see the video. I am hard, but I am fair. It's time for the Catholic Boot Camp with your drill sergeant, Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Learn the Catholic faith and how to defend it like you've never heard it before. This boot camp is tough, so there's no political correctness, no spirit of Vatican II, and no namby-pamby platitudes. Drill Sergeant Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, will prepare you for spiritual war. Now here's Joe Sixpack. This week's Catholic Boot Camp is directed to our bishops and all those laity who adhere to nice Catholicism. You know, comfortable Catholics. This is last week's guest, Michael Voris, in a recent Vortex. I'd like to hear your opinions about what Michael has to say. Let's listen. There isn't a faithful Catholic in the church who can't help but wonder just how many of the bishops are going to be damned. Not just a few would be where the smart money is. And before all the Church of Nice and cocktail Catholic crowd get all upset and start clutching their pearls in horror, consider that this was a common theme in the first centuries of the church and even many centuries following. The bishops in the U.S. have yet once again backed down in the face of continued sacrilege or so pussyfooted around the issue, they might as well agree with it because that's the effect. David DeLayden's attorney, Charles Lamandry, a solid Catholic who strongly defends life and the faith, has some thoughts on this. They have to stop supporting abortion or they have to stop receiving communion. They can't go against their bishop at that point and present themselves at communion. And if they do that, then they're setting themselves up for that confrontation that may be unpleasant, that nobody wants, where they're going to be turned away at the communion rail. But that's their choice. And the bishops, having properly advised them on what their obligations are, have to follow through at that point and do their job and not give them Holy Communion. Give them a blessing or whatever, but not Holy Communion. The topic of giving Holy Communion to child-killing politicians has taken on heightened interest since phony Catholic Joe Biden became president without actually winning the election. So with that loser and fraud in the White House, all his golden calf-worshipping bishop buddies have circled the wagons around him and their own sacrilege, rushing to the barricades to announce he is worthy to receive Holy Communion. Some of the bishops who support uh, a liberal democratic uh, agenda are probably on board with what the politicians are doing and are not going to withhold communion because they want to continue to support those politicians regardless of the spiritual implications. I like to think the bishop believes in those spiritual implications, but I really can't answer your question as to why any one individual bishop is doing that other than everyone wants to avoid something unpleasant, avoid confrontation. Uh, They want to be uh, pals with the people in power. And loads of you thought politics and theology had nothing to do with each other. Hint, everything is about theology and politics. Everything. 
A quick series of events all circling around the real presence of our blessed Lord in the blessed sacrament have now rushed upon us and at every turn the truth of the real presence is just laid aside by bishops. Hence the truthful claim that a huge number of these men are on their way to hell. The events. First, Biden cheats his way into the Oval Office, the highest profile Catholic receiving Holy Communion. That sets off a flurry of cries from the faithful that the bishops get some testosterone and denounce his reception of our blessed Lord's body and blood, placing into his blood-soaked hands. So, President of the U.S. Bishops, Archbishop Gomez of Los Angeles, needing guidance, actually needing guidance on all of this because he's so malformed and a weakling, fires off a letter to the Vatican asking for some direction and should open a child, should an open child killer who scoffs at the faith and acts against it at every turn be allowed to receive Holy Communion because we can't figure that out. Then, one of the crookedest cardinals in the history of the church, Chicago's Blaise Supich, together with his other pro-gay cardinal buddy, both elevated to their high posts by homosexual pederast Theodore McCarrick, both of them meet with Vatican officials and slyly inform them how to respond to Gomez's quizzling little wimpy letter. In the meantime, San Francisco Archbishop Salvatore Cordelioni publishes a letter of his own, hailed up and down the Catholic world by easily deceived faithful, that does nothing more than simply restate 2,000 years of Catholic teaching about worthy reception of Holy Communion and how child killers should not be given the sacred species. However, as the bishop of Nancy Pelosi, a female version of Biden, but a little bit more butch, he never mentions a word about this notorious sinner and her reception of Holy Communion. When asked directly during a number of interviews, he basically deflected saying, well, Nancy understands he wouldn't approve of that, implying, of course, that there's some kind of quiet agreement between them. Well, if there was ever a quiet agreement, that's not what Nancy thinks, because late last week, she basically gave Cordelioni the finger when a reporter asked her if she would still present for Holy Communion. And the U.S. bishops uh, and the the bishops' conference doesn't want to give any money or doesn't want to allow you to receive communion. No, they don't. No, I I think I can use my own judgment on that, but... uh, um, I'm pleased with what the Vatican put out on that subject. Did you read that? That'll be up to the individual priests? No, it basically said, don't be divisive on the subject. Thank you. Did you hear that, Archbishop? That's political speak for, you can drop dead, I'll do whatever I damn well please. So now, Archbishop, the ball is in your court. Regardless of your own personal beliefs, which are good, about the dogma of the real presence... You have let this child-killing woman off the hook repeatedly. You have a duty here, and you can write all the nicely worded and correct documents you like. Those won't get you off the hook when you stand before our blessed Lord. You should have put an end to this the first day you were in office. Now you are reaping the wind. But going back to Nancy for a moment, did you catch that little reference she made there? I was pleased with the document the Vatican put out. It says, don't be divisive. 
The letter she's referencing is what the Vatican sent back to Gomez, which was crafted behind the scenes by the homosexuality-loving Cardinals Supich and Tobin to more churchmen the demons are stoking the furnaces for. The letter they wrote and got the Vatican to publish basically says the U.S. bishops need a consensus on this subject among themselves. Then they all need to pursue dialogue and go explain to the wicked child killers that ripping children to pieces in the womb and then sucking them out through a vacuum cleaner and then selling their pieces for medical research to work its way into vaccines and cosmetics, well, that's a bad thing and they really shouldn't do it. Then they need to all reconvene the bishops, compare notes from all of their dialoguing with the child killers, and then formulate a policy. Then they need to get in touch with bishops' conferences all around the world and get further consensus. Then they need to run that by the Vatican so all those homosexuals running the show there can dink with it and revise it and send it back for further dialogue and discussion. And round and round we go. If you are a Church of Nice Catholic or one of the establishment class who have bishops over to your house for cocktails and polite discussions about your golf handicap, do you really think these men aren't bound for hell? Really? How can you not? They're protecting the murder of children by the tens of millions, regardless of talking a little pro-life here and there. That's a cover to keep you in place, to keep you snowed. Then, even worse, they hand the body and blood of our Savior over to the men and women who make the laws that advance the Holocaust. Are you all flipping insane? Are you comfortable Catholics? That's who we're talking to here. Are you so thick, so spiritually dense and deceived, such theological wastelands, even if you do draw a check from the church, that you think these men are not heading to hell and taking untold millions of souls with them? They don't defend humanity. They don't defend our Lord's divinity. Many of them actively work against one or the other or both. The supposedly good bishops won't do what needs to be done, even at the cost of their own mitres. Those good bishops need to stand up and decry this defiling of the temple. And then whatever happens to them happens. So big deal. You lose your diocese. Who cares? What good are you doing anyway that when the rubber hits the road, you rationalize your silence and your lack of action? Our Lord doesn't need you in your diocese to correct these errors, but you may very well need to be pulled from your diocese for defending the truth to be saved. Imagine an archbishop who tries, yet tiptoes around the truth, trying to defend it, being damned, and spending eternity with the very bishops he was terrified of speaking out against on earth. Because that's where this is all heading. It's throwdown time. In fact, it's long past throwdown time. Wicked men have assumed control in the church, and weak men will not fight for the sanctity of life or divine truth by denouncing them or the wicked Catholics who defile the church and commit sacrilege by name. The communion wars are and have been in full swing for decades, and believing yet wimpy bishops have been conditioned to think that the only thing that matters is politeness, consensus, dialogue, and unity. That is precisely why those spiritually dead cardinals, Supich and Tobin, crafted that wicked, duplicitous response the way they did. 
It was meant to summon forth the inner cowardice of their easily manipulated wimpy bishops back home. And so far it's working. If a bishop, whoever he is, or however well-intentioned he may be, doesn't see the need to lose his mitre to protect human life and divine truth, then the devil and his legions may as well just toss some more coal in the furnace to handle the anticipated increased capacity. Good bishops and their comfortable cocktail country club Catholics are being played for fools by these wicked men in the church and the Congress. You will have nowhere to go, no place to run and hide when you stand before the Lord of heaven and earth that you refused to defend in this life at your own particular judgments. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. You will never again, bishops, have a moment so crystal clear to stand in defense of the truth. Do it. Enough with your letters and your debates and your consensus building and your useless dialogue. You are on the way to hell for your refusal to do the right thing. Your sins of omission are no less severe than the other bishops' sins of commission. If you own a website that generates revenue for you, directly or indirectly, According to a recent Supreme Court ruling, you must be compliant with the Americans with Disabilities Act, or ADA. If you're not compliant, the government can fine you $50,000. Slip and fall lawyers are scouring the internet for non-compliant websites to sue on behalf of disabled clients for tens of thousands of dollars. One disabled man has filed over 800 lawsuits against non-compliant site owners. There were over 10,000 suits filed in 2020, but that number grew to 100,000 in 2022. Once they file suit against you, the government will definitely fine you, and there's no way to win against the fines or suit. You simply have to settle. Getting your website ADA compliant is very expensive. The minimum I've seen charged for this service is $4,000, but I've seen as much as $15,000. Well, I've learned how to make websites ADA compliant. If you want your website ADA compliant and avoid lawsuits and fines, as well as help finance this apostolate at the same time, for you six-pack warriors, I'll only charge $1,000 for full compliance. The $4,000 minimum charged by other ADA compliance consultants will only keep you from being fined. It takes full compliance to keep you from being sued, but that costs from eleven dollars to $15,000. Again, I'll do full compliance for any six-pack warrior for only $1,000 or $100 a month. Just click the link in my show notes on cantankerouscatholic.com and we'll get your site ADA compliant. Get compliant or risk lawsuits and fines. Catholic Church is 2,000 years old. A lot of wisdom is gained over two millennia. Each week we'll share some of that wisdom with a Catholic quote. So here's this week's Catholic quote. This week's Catholic quote is from St. John Eudes. He said, Our wish, our object, 
our chief preoccupation must be to form Jesus Christ in ourselves to make his spirit, his devotion, his affections, his desire, and his disposition to live and reign there. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. On one occasion, a Marine used some very bad language and mentioned the name of our Lord disrespectfully. The chaplain happened to be nearby. He came to the young man, jerked him to his feet, and repeated the very same words he'd heard the young Marine say. The rest of the Marines in the group were dumbfounded. Now, the chaplain said sternly, you've heard me say it, and I'm a priest. How does it sound? The humiliated Marine was shamefaced and silent. It ought to turn your stomach, the chaplain said, and left. It probably did, because there was a dramatically decreased use of profanity after that. We're children of a heavenly father, and we owe it to him to speak of him reverently. Christ died for us, and yet some of us use his name in profanity. Every time you hear someone use his name irreverently, in your heart say, Praised be Jesus Christ. If you yourself use his name irreverently, think of the story of the Marine, and remember that your own evil words sound so awful that they should turn your stomach. This has been The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy. Thanks for subscribing, and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It.